boredom is over, but we are just getting started here on the most shows recapped here on Post Show Recaps. And now you're the guys who are about to talk about the how to get away with murder. Er, OJ, Rob Sestrino, and Antonio Mazzaro. How's it going, Antonio? Oh, it's going great. Annalise Keating does it again, Rob. Does it again. She even dressed like a man this time. It was unbelievable. Yes. OJ. <laughs> OJ is, I repeat, not guilty. Not guilty. OJ Simpson. But boy, the People versus OJ Simpson. What a show. What a show. Really, what? really strong ending and uh, only got better in my mind. As it went along. I know you love the premiere. You've watched it how many times? <laughs> Upwards of 10 times. Upwards of 10 times. Yeah. And so we are back to talk about it. No Josh Wiggler this week. He is on assignment that he is traveling uh, this week. He'll be back with us next week. But uh, we're back once again to talk about the finale, the verdict, the people versus OJ Simpson on FX. Yeah. And the verdict is in. The jury is in. The deliberations are over. Our months long national obsession is over. Uh, I'm talking about the people versus OJ and American crime story. But the, the, the OJ Simpson trial is alive and well, Rob. This is not the last show that we're going to see about this. ESPN is doing a seven part series about the making of and fall from grace of OJ Simpson. My, my, my boy Martin Sheen puzzlingly <laughs> is producing and narrating a show about alternate theories of who may have killed Nicole Brown Simpson. I don't know why <laughs> President Bartlett is slumming like that, but it's very disappointing, Rob. Yeah, that is bizarre. Why is Martin Sheen <laughs> working on that? I, I, I don't know. I, I hate to think that he needs money at this point in his life. I hope that's not the case. But uh, for whatever reason, Martin Sheen's got a OJ theme show coming out, which I think casts the spotlight on Jason Simpson, OJ's son. Okay. All right. Well, we will talk more about that as it comes along. But okay. So very excited to talk about this because I ended up, uh, I was fell a couple of weeks behind, but I ended up watching the final three hours plus of this. Can I rant for 30 seconds about DirecTV? I actually talked about this on the previous People versus O.J. Simpson podcast. This is the third time we're talking about it. We talked about the premiere. Then we talked after episode six. And now here we are after the finale. But these episodes that ran longer than an hour, for whatever reason, my DirecTV season pass recorded them. And they all cut off at like an hour and five minutes. And it's the most frustrating thing in the world. Because it looks, it says, it says you on the timeline, you have an hour, 33 minute show and it cuts off after an hour and I have to go on the FX now on my Apple TV and then you have to fast forward to, and now it's giving you a time without commercial. So now I don't know I would, I know I was an hour and five minutes into it on direct TV. How many minutes does that convert to in the non-commercial timeline? And then, oh wait, you thought it was a non-commercial timeline. Now I'm fast forwarding to like 50 minutes in, and then I watch seven straight commercials on Apple TV, <laughs> followed by then a promo for buckets. Baskets. <laughs> Baskets. <laughs> and you can't do anything. And I realize, oh, I've gone too far. Now I'm too far. Let me rewind back and go back. And then I try to rewind back. And it doesn't like, you can't like scroll and rewind. It like goes to black. And then you fast forward. So let me go back five minutes. I go back five minutes. Another, I got to watch another seven commercials that you can't fast forward through. So I had to watch 14 straight commercials before I could pick up where my DVR ended. And I'm not the only person this happened to. I looked on, on Twitter timeline that uh, for some reason, I don't know if it's DirecTV or FX, but get your crap together. Oh, man. This is that was every epic. episode. 
I love this. Can you do more? We're just going to do this the whole show. No, this is a first world problem, Rob, this day and age. You cannot fast forward and rewind on those commercial service, you know, kind of apps without suffering through the commercials. I had to watch a half hour of commercials straight to pick up the rest of the show. (laughs) It's like the real OJ trial. It's like you're watching it on the news and oh, sorry, commercials, commercials, commercials. Now, this is crazy. This is unreal, Rob. What did you were you motivated? uh, sounds like you're motivated negatively. Were you motivated positively by, are you going to watch baskets now, Rob? <laughs> <laughs> Whether I was going to watch baskets, or not, I'm not going to watch it on FX now. If it gets cut off on my DVR, I'll tell you that right now. Oh my gosh. Um, I can't believe they're still cutting off. Direct TV is not doing that to me. I don't know what your deal is. I don't know what's going on there, but you know, it's happening to other people too. But anyway, okay. So that was my, my problem. And I uh, hope some some of you guys get some enjoyment from my misery uh, with that. But okay, so let's talk about uh, what was great about the finale. Really, it was uh, the last the last few episodes. I really loved the episode with the jury deliberation. I thought the jury episode was fantastic. A- any missteps for you in these final few hours? Well, the the big misstep that really comes to bear a little bit, I think, is the 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 real true miscasting. We talked a lot about. You know, the David Schwimmers of the world, the John Travolta's of the world, the Uncle Juice and all of it. But I really think Cuba Gooding as OJ uh, just did not misfire. ultimately. Yeah, it was just a misfire. And I'm not I, and I don't think I don't blame it on Cuba Gooding. I just think he's the wrong actor for this role. I think he tried to do what he could do. He's a little too small, I think. And he's just kind of he just whined a lot of the time. And I, I just I remember even remember OJ Simpson being a lot more cocky, a lot more arrogant at the defense table. Uh, and I just didn't get a lot of that from Cuba Gooding. He really only got his big moments to shine in the second half of this finale. To be fair, a lot of what he was doing was just not much. Uh, but I just, that's the one misstep that really jumps out to me. What about you? You're right. I think that's a great point about Cuba and his OJ portrayal because I really feel like, for the most part, you know, 95% of the time, I think they really played it pretty either ambiguously or that OJ was somebody who was wrongfully accused and I, he played it pretty straight. You know, OJ really never cracked the facade, perhaps other than at the end of this final episode where he's by himself. And I was not expecting so much OJ butt in the finale. That really (laughs) blindsided me. OJ butt. Yeah, there was a lot of OJ butt in there for sure, which is not something you get from drinking too much orange juice. A lot of OJA in this episode. (laughs) Yep. The people versus OJA. (laughs) Yeah. And so I was not expecting that. But then OJ did have the moment where he broke down and he was crying momentarily. But a little, again, ambiguous. Was he crying because like, hey, I just killed my wife and some guy and I got away with murder? Or was he so happy to be home? But I felt like that the show never really picked the side. And I feel like that so many of the great characters, uh, whether it's Johnny Cochran or Marsha Clark or Darden, you know, they all had clear motivations, which made them super interesting characters. And the acting was fantastic on, on all of those characters. But the OJ motivation and his true intention i felt like was always ambiguous with the show and i think that that hurt the portrayal of oj yeah and, and i think it's a mistake because i think that the you know if you want to the show does not really i don't think uh mince too much about whether or not oj did it i think the show is pretty confident that oj simpson committed these crimes we talked a little bit in the earlier episodes specifically covering the premiere about how they left a little bit of gray area about whether Mark Furman might have planted a glove. We didn't actually see him 
find the glove. But I think more off, more more often than not, throughout the course of the series, it's been about OJ being guilty. And I think David Schwimmer's Robert Kardashian wears that really well. Well, that was a storyline. That was a thing that happened. That was a major story. But if OJ did it, and if the show wants us to feel like the characters feel like OJ did it, and the evidence points to OJ doing it, then you have to keep in mind that OJ Simpson murdered Nicole and Ron with his kids upstairs Mm -hmm. and nobody around to find the body. His kids would have probably discovered that body if the dog hadn't have gotten loose. And so that person who does that is an absolute monster. And I, for whatever Cuba Gooding Jr. was doing, where he was laughing or whining or smiling or crying or whatever it was, we didn't see any of that. I think we saw a little bit of anger in a few moments, but I don't think we saw, I I just, whatever Cuba put up there, I don't think it was something where I was like, this guy could have done it for sure. Whereas if I look at OJ Simpson smirking and kind of celebrating and the way he acted in court in the actual trial, I think, okay, yeah, that guy absolutely could have done it. Yeah. So I think it's interesting. Yeah. So I do think that this OJ was the pretty affable OJ Simpson. Yeah, and uh, there's certainly that side to OJ, uh, the actual OJ Simpson for sure. Mm-hmm. But I think that it's just a, it's more of a one-dimensional portrayal. And I think in a show where they're going to take a stance that it looks pretty much like he's guilty, then I just don't think you can get away with that one-dimensional portrayal because you have to show the dark darker side of him. And I just don't think the show did a good job of that. I really did love the episode, episode eight, which was all about the jury and really seeing it from their perspective because this was an angle that I had never really thought about in terms of how the case actually in the trial went down, just what it was like for the people to be sequestered. And I really loved how you saw them coming in and they were all excited and like, oh, this is like a vacation. I'm staying at a hotel. And then the TV was gone and you saw just how poorly they were treated. Antonio, as somebody who, with your legal background, did you know this was exactly what went on for the jury during the OJ trial? Yeah, the jury in the OJ trial is a major story, and and they they were promised a shorter trial. Judge Lance Ito sort of played the middle on everything, and he let a lot of things go on in the trial, and things take a lot longer than they should in service of playing the middle. And because it was such a high-profile trial, he didn't want to be accused of favoring one side or the other. And as a result of his uh, his lack of equivocation, the trial just took forever. It took way longer than they thought it would. It took way longer than he anticipated or anyone anticipated, and the jury was very very upset we saw i think some uh some magic of tv hollywood sort of ization of like i don't know that anyone jumped over a table that doesn't seem to be something that was covered in any source surrounding the trial Uh, but there were really people trying actively trying to get off of the jury their their time was limited rob i heard you and akiva winnaker here had a huge debate before you started the seinfeld podcast whether you would podcast about seinfeld or martin is that true Yes, that half of us <laughs> wanted to podcast about Martin. Half of us wanted to podcast about Seinfeld. And it turned out that I really did uh, like this. So it was all of the white people wanted to like, hey, we want to watch Seinfeld. And all the African-Americans <laughs> want to watch Martin. And then uh, it turns out then they cut to the next scene. And OJ is like, have you seen that Seinfeld? Boy, uh, that Kramer is really something. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was great. That was really funny. I think Kramer, he should get his own show. He was fighting with a chimpanzee. Yeah, he would. He Kramer would love. uh, He, I'm sure Kramer. I'm sure Michael Richards has a super screaming hot take on the uh, OJ trial. By the way, probably, Uh, probably. (laughs) Uh, And also, you know, good on them because um, 
I'm, I'm sure they, they, they actually uh, got the timing uh, pretty right on this, that the episode in which uh, Kramer does fight with the chimpanzee is from the episode The Face Painter, which is uh, right around where uh, Akiva and I are in the Seinfeld uh, rewatch. Uh, we're a couple of weeks away from uh, that show. Uh, but that aired May 11th, 1995. So they're right in the uh, right time frame to for OJ to have been talking about that. Man, perfect. This is unbelievable. The American crime yeah. story. And yeah, they got so much like right on. They did a really good job. Uh, they really did. Uh, nail it. And then uh, in terms of the ninth episode, which was the uh, Mark Furman episode again, uh, so much interesting stuff there. Anything uh, in particular stand out for you in that episode? Well, they—I mean—they did a really good job of uh, of kind of accurately portraying a lot of what was going on. Like, uh, really, just kind of the shock about the plea. Uh, Mark Furman just taking the fifth every time, and the the protests and all of that was very real. I will say, I reading Jeffrey Tubin's book that this uh, show is sort of loosely based on, and some of the other coverage of the the interviews that are going on with Harvey Levin from TMZ uh, and other people who covered the trial at the time. Mark Furman was actually a really small part of the case. We we kind of talked about that on our previous podcast, but it's not really that clear that the case definitely turned on Furman. Uh, I think that the show really kind of portrays that it is. Um, he may have been important to like the the case failing, uh, but the the he was a very small part of the defense's case, a very or the prosecution's case, a very, very small part. Uh, and so it was not like he was their star witness. And I think that that that's a difficult thing to do. And I, I, don't, I don't know. I think that I think they played the atmosphere and the themes of, of him being involved in the trial and where that all tied in very well. And I think those were significant. So I think they did a really good job with that. And I mean, it, it's shocking. I mean, it is shocking to, to hear that guy when you're saying, did you ever falsify a police report or tamper with evidence? I'll plead the fifth. That's a yes, by the way. <laughs> yeah. So yes. yeah. that was a shocking moment to me because right. I didn't know that that had happened. That actually did happen that way. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it is that. Why did he answer the question that way? Well, because if he says no, then they can probably bring in people to impeach that. And it brings his whole record, his official record into question. The whole point of uh, pleading the fifth is protecting yourself against incrimination uh, with any statement you might make in court. And so I think the belief would be that if he said no, then they could impeach that. No, they could challenge that. No with other factual evidence. And the point is the defense may not have had access. They may not have known what he might've lied about, but the fact is he didn't know what they knew or didn't know. So he has mm -hmm. to basically say, I'll take the fifth because if he says no and he gets caught out, it's a, it's even worse than it is. And I don't think he can get that Fox news job. He's got now, Rob. Yeah, I guess not. So yeah. uh, Mark Furman, always thinking that guy, always thinking he knows all the angles. Yeah. Well, there you go. Also from that episode, I was also really surprised about the revelation that Mark Furman made all these incendiary comments about Judge Ito's wife. I never knew this. <laughs> I don't I didn't remember that until I read the book. I did not know that either. And I think it's great. It, I loved it. That's something that you like to talk about, Rob, the O. Henry twist. I love that Marsha Clark said it's a bit of an O. Henry twist here. Uh, he's yeah. got some strong feelings about somebody we didn't expect him to. I feel like I wish that they would have given us uh, Ito and his wife talking this through. I feel like that that was a missing. Maybe that's a deleted scene that we could have gotten. Oh, yeah, that would have been great for sure. At the home, yeah, like, the home. Really? Could, you could have told me this. Uh, this is really very surprising <laughs> to me. <laughs> yeah, that is too bad. We missed out on that for sure. For sure. And then the finale, of course, uh, is the culmination of all this. 
Did you feel like the finale did justice to the events of the OJ trial as you remember them? Yeah, I, I really did. Uh, and I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that because I, we're both old enough that we, we, we were in a place where we can remember this kind of playing out or certainly the white Bronco chase and probably the verdict. We haven't really talked about it a ton here, uh, mm-hmm. where we were at the end of the trial, but I think that the, the, the kind of scenes from around the country really resonated with me. Uh, and I thought they did a great job of playing that up. I thought they did a fantastic job with the prosecution's press conference after the trial was over. And just that was a tragic, tragic scene. I mean, they did a fantastic job with that and forcing them to kind of get up there and talk about it and the kind of pregame where they didn't want to do it, but they owed it to the family and just how absolutely incredibly difficult that must have been and how that was palpable in that scene. I thought that was fantastic. So I thought overall they really nailed it. And I think that by the end of this, you I, even even Uncle Juice, even uh, David Schwimmer, even Ross Kardashian came around a little bit. Uh, I thought his portrayal in this episode was great. I thought mm-hmm. he looked haggard and wan and like his whole person had been changed and shocked by this event and i think that um, allegedly that is what happened with robert kardashian that he did come to believe that oj was guilty and that he'd helped free nicole's murderer and he felt terrible about it and he ostracized himself from oj so that's very real i thought schwimmer nailed it i thought he really stepped up into it and i think using travolta as the comic relief at this point uh, is the right way to go and so by the end of the series i'd even warm to him what about you so i thought that it was really really well done just all the way around and in terms of the show did such a great job of you know i really only knew this case from you know the perspective i had of being you know a 13 years old 14 year old kid on long island And really just sort of like knowing the story of like a boy, OJ really got away with murder and, you know, not even really understanding, you know, how anybody could have seen it any other way. And I think that the show did a really good job of, you know, making the case uh, not so much of why OJ could not have done it or was innocent. But I think that it made the case really well in a compelling way of why people felt like OJ should have been not guilty and a lot of the other factors uh, that went into it. I wanted to know from you, Antonio, do you feel like as a legal expert and uh, certainly uh, far and away the legal expert of the two of us, do you feel like that in terms of OJ being not guilty, of course, you know, that doesn't mean innocent, but do you feel like that was that the right verdict based on the errors that the prosecution ended up making should oj have been not guilty it's tough because there's so much physical evidence the dna evidence as we know the facts as we know them now and i think it was confusing to people then and i think the prosecution did a very good job we saw some of that um with uh, with the northern exposure kind of character uh barry sheck kind of playing that out in court mm-hmm. and cross-examining the medical kind of examiner and there were some problems with the physical evidence and that caused a little bit of question about them. And there was the major concern about whether evidence was tampered with or planted for racial motivations, which, of course, it doesn't seem like that was the case. But you can understand why people, why anyone would have believed that could have been the case in light of how Mark Furman presented as a witness and in light of what the history of the LAPD was. So I think it's really tough. I think that the the deliberations being four hours is a little ridiculous. I think that they could have gone over a lot of a lot of the evidence and tried to actually set the scales out. If you want to talk about the scales of justice and put certain things on one side and say they're counterbalanced by other things in four hours, they didn't they didn't even begin to get at that. And that's. Mm-hmm. 
that's the most frustrating part. I, I'd say that I can understand how the, the jury would have had a reasonable doubt, but I'm not sure how they got to there in four hours. And I think that that's the difficult part. The reasonable doubt thing is so nebulous. It's so weird and airy. What is reasonable doubt? It, you're not even as a, as a, as a uh, lawyer and giving your closing statement, for example, you're not even really allowed to tell the jury what reasonable doubt is. You're not allowed to say that's reasonable doubt. You have to be very careful with how you present things uh, in terms of framing it that way. So it very, it very much is subjective. Uh, and it, it seemed like from the way the show is presenting it, people in the jury didn't even understand the standard, which is difficult. So I would say I can understand the verdict. Uh, I wasn't there, but uh, I just don't I don't think coming to it in four hours is appropriate at all. So it doesn't seem fairly reached to me. And also they had that one woman who was the one holdout, the person who did think that OJ was guilty. And I felt like that they went away from the jury, almost like that it was like a cliffhanger for us. I mean, I feel like we all know that OJ is going to be end up being not guilty. Do you wish that they would have shown us why that one woman ended up changing her mind so quickly? I do wish that. I think that that would have been a little bit of fiction in some respects because my understanding, and I'm, I'm basing this on an interview I read on Vulture, where Vulture had interviewed one of the 12 jurors. Uh, it's the number one most viewed story on Vulture.com right now. An OJ juror, what the people versus OJ Simpson got right and wrong. And that juror is basically saying that the person who voted not guilty did not reveal themselves in the room. They did not say it was me, like the woman did on the show. It was me. And they didn't, they didn't lobby for their point. They didn't lobby and try to convince anybody or change any minds. So... I don't know. Read into that how you will. But that is, according to this juror who was interviewed uh, by Vulture, that is what happened. It, that nobody stepped up and said, this is why I think he's guilty. Here's the evidence. Here, let's talk about it. And I mean, the most famous kind of inner workings of a jury kind of piece of fiction that we have like that is 12 Angry Men. And it's basically the same scenario. There's a lot of votes for guilty, uh, maybe one holdout for not guilty. And the person who's the holdout for not guilty begins a process of talking to people. And you really see why people are basing their votes. And it's fascinating. Highly recommend that movie. But that didn't happen here. Four hours and the person who voted not guilty didn't even talk about it. So while I wish the show would have showed it, it would have been breaking, I think, away a little bit. The whole thing about the jury also that they wore all black in protest, uh, I mean, what was their ultimate protest? I, I felt like that was so interesting to me, but I don't know exactly what they wanted. Yeah, it, it was it was tangential. Like it didn't really have anything to do with the lawyers or uh, anything that was happening in the court. It had more to do with their treatment. Uh, specifically, if I recall correctly from the book that Tubin wrote, uh, the suggestion was that there was some favoritism uh, there that some jurors were saying that some of the guards that were guarding them were showing some of the other jurors more favoritism than other ones. Uh, and they were, it, it wasn't, wasn't really along racial lines or anything. It was just that some people were getting favorable treatment that others weren't. And so Ito's reaction, which we do see on the show, is I think he rotates out their, their people. And the biggest problem was, call it Stockholm Syndrome, call it what you want. They were sequestered with no, they couldn't even talk to each other about the case. Mm -hmm. they, they, they were sequestered for so long with nobody to talk to. They had formed relationships and friendships with the people that were responsible, uh, the guards. And when they transferred them out without warning, without a chance to say goodbye, without a chance to really talk to them about anything, just a new person showed up the next day. That was it for the jury. And the show does really portray this a little bit. But that, that was really the main issue. They were really upset with how they were being treated. And the straw that broke the camel's back was the transfer of several of the people who they really liked without any warning to them or any feedback from them. They were just gone. 
And that was really tough for them. Yeah, I think that's the protest. That's the move you make when you are on a jury. You want to protest that. Uh, I know they did that on the Survivor Marquesas jury. They were so pissed. That they decided to go and protest to all wear black to tribal council. That's the move. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that is the move. I think you, you let your intentions be well known <laughs> at that point. <laughs> and then everybody's like, ooh, the jury is all in black today. They must be pissed about something. Yes, it is not a brand new day, Rob. Very, it is yeah, not very intimidating. Yeah, uh, it's very so, intimidating. Antonio, you know this case so well. Can you talk about some of the major things that you feel like were significantly different in the TV show than in the actual events? Yeah, we've talked about it a, a little bit on this show. Uh, they they dramatize a lot. Like, what uh, about over the last couple of weeks? So the the. <laughs> F. Lee Bailey uh, being kind of the uh, just a, a really kind of a great voice of reason and being on top of everything, uh, I think is a little and they, they even made him seem like this great cross examiner of Mark Furman earlier. Um, if you read all accounts, I think a lot of people most most uh, most of the observers of the trial did not take F. Lee Bailey very seriously. Uh, he was seen as maybe even drunk a lot of the time, which the show has Whoa. a lot of fun with. Uh, yeah, the show has a lot of fun. He he makes several references to alcohol. He's drunk in a couple of different scenes. He takes a big swig right before he cross examines Mark Furman. Uh, so I think that the Nathan Lane character, uh, he is a great lawyer, Effley Bailey, legendary trial lawyer, legendary cross examiner. But I think his role in this trial was not maybe as formal uh, or just as serious as the show made it out to be. Similarly, I think that the show does a lot with showing more emotions on the participants of the trial. I mean, when when uh, the alternate juror gets seated that Johnny Cochran doesn't want, he kind of in court, like while in full view of the jury is angry about it. There's no way Johnny Cochran's doing that. Like that is not how the trial played out. So by any account, that's not how the trial played out. So I think that that is a little bit, that's a little bit overdone. Um, and the, I, I think the the stuff with Clark and Darden is is a little bit of a there. There's a little bit of poetic license there, both in terms of the closeness of their relationship and in terms of the tension. They apparently, according to Christopher Darden's book, the dancing, staying up late, drinking, that sort of stuff was legit. Uh, Marsha Clark in her own book said they were closer than lovers. Uh, that's how close they closer were. Closer than the lovers. Yes, I don't know what that means, but they were closer than that, Rob. Yeah. So you can take that for what it is. But they've never confirmed any kind of romantic interlude between the two of them the show i think it's right right close to it and walks it away so maybe that's the show's way of kind of doing that but i think the anger between the two of them the palpable tension uh, most of the courtroom observers are not seeing that in court the tension between the two of them uh and i, I just think that it, it's it, it's some of that is is really kind of out of bounds the stuff with the garment bag is also i think that was on episode maybe seven we didn't talk about it last time so i think it was on seven that that stuff about the golf bag it wasn't that is not something that was on the show like or it was that did have that happened in the you know the the course of the story like we don't know there is a picture of Robert Kardashian holding a bag but the whole stuff with him and Al Cowling's opening it and all of that that's all kind of manufactured for the show and then I think that little things like Shapiro trying on the gloves in the courtroom uh, mm -hmm. during a break, uh, that there's no way that happens. There's just no way it happens. You don't leave those things lying around for somebody to play around with. You don't have like all these things. I think the show puts that in there to give Shapiro a little bit of credit to make him look like it was his idea to have all these things happen. And maybe it was, but it didn't result from something like that. So there's, there's a lot of stuff like that that's happening. Like, why are you going to make OJ put on you know, latex gloves to try the 
gloves on, but Bob is trying them on just whenever he wants. Like John Travolta is just masquerading around with them on, looking weird and Botoxed out. So yeah, <laughs> a lot of that stuff is uh, is over the top. But I, but thematically in like the high notes and in terms of the tone uh, and capturing the atmosphere of the trial, I just think they hit a home run for sure. What did you think about the end cards where we did like a where are they now sort of like the Animal House style catching up with each of the characters and talking about what they've done since the trial? Did you like that? I loved it. And I love seeing the real life photos of the people side by side with the actors portraying them. I think you see things like uh, Fred Goldman looking just so much like Fred, like the they just really nailed a lot of what they were doing and they really knocked it down. If you there, are, there's been great kind of uh, clips you can find online of the side by side presentations of the show where you can see scenes from the, the show that are word for word and kind of blocked exactly like they occurred in the trial, whether it's Ito admonishing Cochran and Darden for feuding over what a person sounds like. And if you can determine from a person's voice, what race they are, uh, or whether it's judge Ito talking about his wife, all those things are, are word for word, exactly how they played on the trial, including intonation. The closings are very similar. Uh, so I think they, they did a great job of that. So it makes sense at the end to have those title cards updating the story. Uh, these were the characters of this, of our kind of our first ever reality uh, trial, Rob, like the trial of the century. And they were really characters in that show that at one point, you know, earlier, the mechanics are like, I wish they put Cato back on the show. I mm-hmm. loved Cato and they weren't being meta. They were referring to the trial on TV as a show. And so it makes sense to update us on where those characters are now. Did you have any issue with that? Or did you did you like that? Yeah, no, I thought it was good. I thought yeah. that I wish that they would have given us even more characters. Oh, who who else did you want? Who was Miss Rosa Lopez? The, the <laughs> <laughs> did she go? Did she ever go away? Did she ever leave the country? I want to know. Yeah, or I would have. You know, I wish we would have gotten even more of an update than like one or two lines. Some of them also went by very fast. Yeah, and uh, and, and they they I think they changed the music for the Mark Furman one. It was like a little more foreboding. I noticed. So I really I thought they did just a great job. And I I actually think that there's probably debate on this. How did you feel the finale did in terms of nailing kind of last character moments? It I think some people are complaining about the constant epilogue, like oh now we're going to get a final scene with Marsha and uh, and Chris Darden. Now we're going to get a final scene with Bob Kardashian. Now we're going to get a final scene with uh, Johnny Cochran. Now we're going to get a final scene with oj did you were you good with the way we had this like uh, the verdict was in the middle of the episode rob and so everything after that was like the the last scene for every character were you okay with the the structure of this episode you know what if people are complaining about we had too much closure on these things then we have too many nice things that that's it you know (laughs) people are just like uh have so few problems that we are complaining about there was too much closure on this episode they really they really like sewed everything up too nicely. The world is, you know, there's a lot of loose ends in the world. Oh, yeah. People are complaining, Rob. TV critics. A couple yeah. TV critics are complaining. Like, you know what? That uh, I really wish that they would, you know, end these things on more of a cliffhanger. Uh, that's what I need in my <laughs> TV this week. Wait, you know, wait, wait. No, I, I don't no, like no. it when they resolve everything that they say they're going to do in a season of television. I wish that they would just like say so that the jury rules and then just, you know, we'll tell you in the fall. Oh, boy. Somewhere a Walking Dead showrunner's ear. <laughs> just perked up and said thank you for this defense i i love you yeah, your the defense, defense of my programming yes <laughs> not yeah, guilty your honor yeah yeah so i don't know that is i i i liked it i like that we got these final scenes good. for each of the characters yeah it was good and it was unexpected i mean it was a longer episode 
but I didn't expect to get the verdict in the middle of the episode and then see the fallout. I, I really thought that that was great, how much fallout we got, whether it was actual notable moments like the press conference from the prosecution or whether it was the moment of Marsha Clark telling Chris Darden why it was so important to her and why prosecution is so important to her and why defending victims is so important to her. Yeah. I thought that, that was fantastic. I thought that that was all really, really home run stuff. Uh, we have so many questions to get to, but Antonio, I know you told me before we came on that you read a lot about what they're doing next season on this show, and it was such a big hit. Obviously, uh, we're probably saying goodbye to the OJ cast, but what are we going to do with this next season? Yeah, we had a lot of questions uh, about the next season uh, and and what people think should be done with the next season and so forth and so on. It's well underway. I think there's some pluses and minuses to it. It is not going to be another trial. It is American Crime Story is the name of the show. It's an anthology series. So we may see some of the same actors. I've got a little hat tip for you on one of those. But it's going to be set in the uh, early days of Hurricane Katrina. So not in the kind of Treme, you know, six months to a year later kind of aftermath of people returning home and trying to rebuild their lives, but very much in the moment to moment of Hurricane Katrina uh, before the levees break, after the levees break. How do people end up in the Superdome at all? What horrible atrocities are committed to get people into the positions that more horrible atrocities occurred? That's what it's going to be about. And it's going to be Ryan Murphy at the helm. And by the way, we talked about this a ton on, on this podcast about this show. This was a project that was being developed by two writers already before Ryan Murphy came into the mix. Mm-hmm. Those two writers will not be returning for season yeah. two of American Crime Story. And this was based on a uh, source material also. Yep. Is there a book that the Katrina TV series is being based on? It is not clear yet whether there there is one primary source. It doesn't seem to be the case so far. I think they may be looking for some kind of backbone like that. Uh, they're not. They're also not really interested in portraying kind of well known figures. I mean, uh, Mayor Ray Negan will probably be on there. I'm not sure that he's going to be a primary figure, or they're going to we're going to follow him around. Uh, George Bush yeah. may be on Negan there. Negan showed up on The Walking Dead recently. Yes, exactly. This mayor does not carry a baseball bat. Yeah, that, uh, yes. that's, a, that's a Dan Feinberg joke from recently on Twitter. I, uh, I can't steal it with good conscience. So, well, that's good. I'm glad you're giving uh, Daniel Feinberg some credit. He deserves it. He's a funny guy. Uh, I will say they, they mentioned that it's possible that John Travolta will be returning to the second season of American Crime Story. John Travolta, apparently with Kelly Preston, claims that he had some sort of spiritual experience going down helping Katrina victims. I don't know if that's a Scientology spiritual experience, mm. Rob, but he um, he has a very vivid memory of one particular scene where a giant man that he met uh, just... A giant into- man? Yes, he, he described him as a giant man. Uh, he burst into tears when he saw John Travolta. He start, started crying, like this huge guy, uh, who much bigger than John Travolta, just was completely felt when Travolta showed up. And Travolta's like, it's because I was a familiar face, and he didn't uh, expect to see me. So it really hit home that the, 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 you know, the course of this tragedy or whatever. I don't know. So Travolta's interested. I'd like to see Travolta play W. That would be fantastic uh, if we had George W. Bush played by Travolta. But I don't think... Think that that's the angle they're going to be looking I don't for. Know. I really, I really don't see it. I think they're going to be covering four to six stories within the context of New Orleans uh, and following those characters as they deal with the different things that went on. Uh, and they believe Ryan Murphy strongly believes that there were criminal things that occurred that led to the the, the 
terribly tragic scope of Katrina, whether it was the levees or whatever it was, that there were criminal things that went on there and the criminal treatment of people afterwards. So that's the crime they're going to be focusing on. Well, I'm not feeling this for a season two. What happened? Was Bo Bergdahl already taken? (laughs) Bo Bergdahl was taken. Casey Anthony too soon, maybe on Casey Anthony? No, not soon enough. Not soon enough. I think that Casey Anthony makes a lot of sense for this show. Uh, we'll, I will be very interested uh, in, the, in the hard pivot of season two, away from a trial, away from a story where it's well-known characters. Uh, we're going to probably still have really high-quality cast, like that's the Ryan Murphy sort of signature. So I, it wouldn't shock me to see some of that sort of thing going on. But as far as the storytelling, I'm a little more concerned. I will say this, because we had a question uh, about whether our opinions of Ryan Murphy had changed from this series. And we can use this to transition from Curtis Barton, because uh, we thought it would get, was going to be Sharknado J. Sharknado J, right. Like, you know, just totally camp, because it's Ryan Murphy. I will say this. I think Ryan Murphy... He, as a director, he directed a lot of these episodes, did fantastic work, especially this finale, the split screens kind of showing everybody's reactions at the verdict, the choice of stock footage versus live footage. Uh, they just the technical aspects, his big move with kind of the swooping pan zoom in on a face real tight. Mm-hmm. Uh, he really executed that really well. I just I think he did a bang up job as a director, as a showrunner and a writer. I'm a little more leery and I don't think this season gave me any reason to believe otherwise on that i'm i'm hoping season two doesn't what about you your opinions change on ryan murphy at all rob you know i didn't have any real strong takes on him i was not really a viewer of either glee or the american horror stories i did watch a lot of scream queens when we talked about it back in the fall and so i sort of got a vibe from him here and i really wondered about how he was going to be able to handle the oj trial and the gravitas of doing all this and i thought it would be more campy it was in some places a little bit, but overall, I do think they did a really nice job with this. So I come away uh, very impressed overall. Yeah, me too. Uh, me too. This is, the, I mean, I've watched a little bit of the American Horror Story and I've seen good and horrible things from that show, just completely garbage stuff from that show. And I wasn't a fan of Glee. I watched uh, most of the first season and just gave up because I started hating it. But I got to say, this was this was really good stuff. This was really good stuff. So I'm definitely going to be watching the second season. But like you, I'm a little concerned. All right, let's do some more questions. Uh, Morgan Eastwood wants to know, do you feel like that the show left it open to do a series on the civil suit that followed with the ending? Any chance of a follow-up civil suit? Yeah, I don't know. I didn't I didn't like that personally. Like, what do we do now? And then you see this look on Fred Goldman's face like, oh, I can see he's forming the idea that they're going to have a civil suit. So I didn't like that. I, I think the door could be open, but it's so much of the same stuff over and over again that I just I don't think we're going to get that in a series. Uh, but I think that that's what they were hinting at for sure. They're, oh, the civil suit is coming. Don't don't worry. We'll get ours. All right. Let's take an email question that we got from the great Johnny D. Silvera. And the great Johnny D. Silvera. Johnny wants to know how often when a defendant chooses not to testify during his or her trial, are they allowed to make a statement? That's a very good question. And this was a, this was a, a big problem in the OJ trial for sure. It was not made in front of the jury, but it was questionable at best. What you see from Marsha Clark there is absolutely valid. It's how, how do you just get to un, address the court without any fear of reprisal, without any fear of cross-examination that's not appropriate. Uh, Normally, defendants can make statements in their defense at sentencing. Uh, Even if they haven't testified, of course, they can 
talk to the judge, equivocate, say what they thought, uh, perhaps apologize, uh, gives the defendant an opportunity to say their piece there. That is a very common thing that's happening all the time. Uh, in terms of making a statement when you don't testify, not nearly as commonplace. And again, that owes to Judge Ito equivocating, trying to give both sides something that they want, splitting the baby a lot of the time. Uh, this is something the defense wanted. He let them do it, but then he cuts it off at a certain point and it wasn't in front of the jury. Does it do any harm to the case? Does it, does it change the outcome probably not it just makes oj look a little better uh and i think that that's the problem that's the thing where you know i really love how the show does what the truth is which is that oj was shunned by most of his friends he was shut out of his country club that stuff where he couldn't get his table at his country club was absolutely legit uh bob kardashian did leave him behind he lost a lot of his friends uh, and it probably put him in the position where he ended up uh, ultimately committing another crime but uh, that that the kind of image repair that he was trying to do in that moment with that statement it doesn't ultimately work really but it is it is something that was a little unorthodox to say the least johnny also asked us rob uh where if you remember where we you know do you remember where you were when the verdict was read mm -hmm. right. i remember where i was yeah i yeah. was in high school i want to say i was in like i guess uh 10th grade or 11th grade and 11th. I, you know they showed us you know on tv they showed us like um i feel like there were only two times i feel like in all of the time that i was in grade school elementary school that they showed us things that happened on tv that the challenger blew up and yep. oj yeah <laughs> those are the only two events that were important enough that they showed us what was happening on tv yeah the berlin wall came down in 1989 Rob. <laughs> I, I don't remember i don't think that they they pulled us out of school to show us the berlin wall yeah, well, and it's funny because there's a time di there's a time difference. So I remember waking up in the morning and my dad making uh, my brother and I watch that uh, on TV because it was just this major kind of thing that was happening. But uh, but they showed us that in school. Definitely saw the Challenger when I was a a young tyke in grade school. Mm -hmm. uh, I was actually. Um, through various uh, wranglings that I, we won't get into here. I was uh, in my first year at college when the OJ verdict came out. Uh, and I, uh, I was in a room with uh, my friends uh, who were, you know, my, my friends because of uh, the, how I got to college and who I knew when I got to college. And uh, they were, they were all African-American. So I was uh, one of the only white people in the room. Uh, and so there was a lot, there was a lot of, uh, for me, it was a different experience. Wow. Because it was like it, a microcosm of the jury. A little bit. Yeah. Except I wasn't the demon. Uh, I wasn't the demon. I, at the time, I very much was cognizant of the racial stuff that had gone on with Rodney King. Uh, and it was something that was on my radar. I was a young social justice warrior at the time, Rob. Yes. Uh, and so I saw this, I saw this trial a little differently at the time. I wasn't a legal guy. Like I didn't even realize what a travesty of justice this thing was. Uh, and I thought, I thought it what really was a trial about how the LAPD was crooked and corrupt. And I also recognized that it was a trial about celebrity. And I really thought the reason OJ was found not guilty more than anything had nothing to do with his race, had everything to do with the celebrity. And that's what I thought at the time. Uh, but I thought, you know what? Screw the LAPD. Like if they're going to lie and they're going to commit these crimes, whatever. And now I feel terrible because I I'm huge, huge, huge advocate for domestic violence victims. I did a lot of my legal practice as that and seeing this as a domestic violence trial it's heartbreaking. It's really hard to look back and, and think about 
the lens that that we viewed this trial at the time and how little that was really a big part of of what was going on even though that was at the crux or that was the heart of the case was was a domestic violence incident that was horrible and then an innocent person was killed in a domestic incident it's just terrible so i have a lot of different views now because i'm a legal person and i know the case but at the time i was celebrating like everybody else that i, I was with so uh, very interesting. Very interesting to think about looking back. What about the ominous card towards the end of the Where Are They Now segment that said OJ will be eligible for parole in 2017? Did you feel like that this show was serving as a reminder of like, don't let this happen? OJ could be back on the loose. <laughs> Not necessarily. I think that it's just a, a reminder of of the fact that he he I think he will get paroled in 2017, by the way, by all accounts. Uh, I think he's been on good behavior recently or or long enough that it's When should did be OJ good. go to jail? Uh that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. I I want to say it was like uh in the 2005 so 6 7 range. Maybe it was his latest 2008. Uh he, he was given a 33 year sentence for a crime that really didn't merit that. It was almost like it was like, well, we missed you the first time around. We're going to we're going to throw the book at you yeah. this time. No, but I don't know if we're ready for OJ in a Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat oh, world. Lord. I mean, I just kind of feel like that this is probably like OJ, when he gets out, let's say he does get out in 2017. Do you think that OJ is going to, you know, be on social media and be like weighing in on stuff? I don't know. I mean, the social media like he exists. shouldn't. But I kind of feel like he will. Yeah. This day OJ and age. podcast. Well, if you'll, I mean, th- this wasn't covered in the story because this is more of the civil trial, but he tries to write this book called If I Did It. Yeah. Where he, he gets interviewed about how he would have committed the crimes if he had committed the crimes. And it was almost tacitly like, I know I did this. This is exactly how I did it. I'm going to tell you what I did. I'm going to tell you how everything played out. Uh, and I'm gonna, it's going to be called If I Did It. And then it was like, the Goldmans need to get the profits from that book. And then all of a sudden, the book wasn't going to be published. And you can still read that book. If you, if you go online, you can find the PDF of it. Uh, I can't bring myself to read it. But I'm, I'm curious. And I got to think in a world like that, uh, OJ Simpson maybe is going to weigh in uh, yeah. on some on some things. And I don't know, 2017 is going to be around before you know it, Rob. And I do think he's going to get out of jail in 2017. Okay, that's going to sure. be pretty well. All right, let's get to some more of these uh, questions that we have. Yeah, there really are some good ones, Rob. Renee Herrera, in fact, asks, uh, this happens in 2016. Do things play out the same? I think that OJ is found guilty in 2016. Oh, really? Hot take. Why? Yeah. What, what's the what's the difference in, in 2016? Because I do think that you well, first off, that DNA was just like, what? What is this DNA? That doesn't make any sense to us. Like, this is mumbo jumbo. Like, that's that's the biggest thing. I think that, you know, the DNA probably is able to convict OJ. But I just feel like, you know, I don't know what goes on in the courtroom. I can't speak to that. But in the court of public opinion, I do feel like that that people would be able to present the facts of the case better. Like I do feel like there might be some like uh, some truth. OJ was framed truthers out there that might be online, like posting about how OJ is, you know, really an innocent person and he got set up. But I think that that would probably be more along the lines of the conspiracy theorists. And I just feel like that there would be a lot more information that would be accessible to a majority of people. Maybe I'm giving society and the world too much credit, but I feel like that the overwhelming evidence against OJ would be accessible by so many more people. 
Yeah, I think you're right about that. And I think that that, I think juries are more used to and understanding DNA with the, the whole CSI effect of juries. They do expect there to be this screaming kind of evidence. And that's a problem a lot of lawyers struggle with, Rob, is that there isn't evidence like there is in the OJ case in a lot of cases. They don't have an identification level DNA kind of match uh, in most cases. And juries want that physical evidence. They want the CSI kind of uh, physical evidence that's going to break the case. They had it in this case and it still didn't work. Uh, and I, I do think that that's, uh, that's a little different. I mean, look, you put like a Brett Favre on trial for the same crime or um, maybe, uh, I don't know, a Michael Jordan or someone like that. Uh, they're going to have the best lawyers. They're going to be, they're going to have the best lawyers money can buy, Rob. And the lawyers are going to come up with the best possible defense to combat whatever it is. So I think no matter what, I think that the message should be when you've got a lot of money and when you're famous, you can probably get away with murder in a lot of instances. And we've seen that happen from, from, you know, from other trials. And I think in 2016, I don't think we're past that, but I do think you're right. I think evidence wise, I think this one's a lot easier to understand. And I think that you can really, I, I think the other thing is, I think there have been some other bad trials in the interim, the Casey Anthony mm. thing we talked about, some other high profile things that happened in the interim where I think judges and people like that are going to be worried. Well, I don't want to be the next whatever. Even if you take the OJ trial out of that, you know, that kind of mix, I think that the way things are covered nowadays, people are, are going to be cognizant and constantly aware. And you're right. The people on Twitter are, are going to be all over it, both the kind of people with conspiracy theories, the Martin Sheens of the world, unfortunately, uh, and the people who are going to be calling out and pointing out inconsistencies and really being the Reddit detectives. All that's going to be in play. So I just think that I think that the, the atmosphere is a lot different. Although racially, I think this is an important thing to say. The show makes the point about with Christopher Darden and Johnny Cochran talking mm -hmm. and Christopher Darden saying, we're still going to be mistreated. Like you didn't win anything. Like, right. you know, people are still going to get pulled over because they're black. People are still going to get falsely accused because of their race. You didn't win anything. And of course, it's easy for Christopher Darden's character to say that in hindsight of what we know in 2016. Right. Uh, but I, and that, that scene, apparently we don't know if it happened or not. Um, I, th there's not in Chris Darden's book. Uh, it's not conf confirmed by anybody. But I think that you, you, they kind of showed it both ways, where Johnny Cochran showed that the, that Bill Clinton did, in fact, weigh in and talk about a national discussion on race. So I think it's fascinating. I think the second season is going to tie thematically a little bit into that conversation uh, between Darden and, mm -hmm. and Cochran. I think we're going to see those themes emerge again in this second season. And I think that Ryan Murphy maybe can continue to drive that national conversation. So that would be something that would still impact the trial um, where you had the trial, where you had the jury, all of it, that would all play a part. So who knows? I really did like that scene. I thought that that was, uh, I, I thought it just gave even more gravitas to the series, that conversation in terms of like, you didn't change anything. That stuff is still going to happen because of this. Yeah. I think that that's, I think that was great. And I think, but I think it's right that you see Johnny Cochran legitimately crying. Uh, the, the, which a great performance, uh, all, I mean, the great performance is all around. I mean, Courtney B. Vance, Sterling K. Brown, Sarah Paulson, incredible. Like at the, the main characters really crushed it. And Johnny Cochran weeping in that scene, seeing Bill Clinton on TV saying, this is the victory. Like, this is what we were fighting for. Uh, it's great. I mean, it, it is fantastic. So that scene was great. It just that that second half of the episode was all great. So I'm uh, very happy with this series, Rob. Very, very happy. Very happy. Okay. And one last question from Curtis that he wants to say, Antonio, I'm not sure if you plugged the run of his life book enough. Could you let everyone know 
Tobin's book is an awesome read. Yeah, Curtis is uh, speaking the truth there. Tobin Curtis, or Tubin? Tubin, Jeffrey Tubin. Tubin. Tobin's yeah. the guy on The Walking Dead. <laughs> like yes, Ray that Nagin. is true. Right. Curtis, uh, Curtis is a lawyer as well. I know. Uh, I believe Curtis is a public defender. Uh, so Curtis knows kind of how all these things break out. And I think the book is accessible and very readable, not just for lawyers, but for really anybody who wants to take a second look at this trial. I mean, you saying things like, I had no idea about Lancito's wife. Those sorts of things are, are right there in the book and they really do play out. Uh, Chris Darden and Marsha Clark. I mean, everybody associated with this trial, Rob. Everybody wrote a book. There are very few. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert Shapiro is like the only person who didn't write a book. Yeah. Uh, everybody else did. And so there's a lot of great reads out there uh, you can pull from this. But Tubin was so highly, heavily involved in the trial. And it's about what the series is based on. So great book. If you really like the series and you want to kind of read the source material, I think you'll find that it's, uh, it's very engaging and very well worth reading. Okay. All right. Well, fun stuff talking about the people versus OJ Simpson. We will miss it. It was a uh, really, really well done show. And uh, we will move on from here. Of course, if you want to hear Antonio and I talk about more legal drama, still two episodes left for Better Call Saul here in 2016. Yeah, just one episode left until the finale, Rob. Yes, yes, yes. So if you want to hear all that, you can hear that on postshowrecaps.com on our Better Call Saul podcast feed. Plus, uh, we have the return of Fear the Walking Dead as well coming oh up on gosh. Poster Recaps. How about that? Zom- zombies on a boat, Rob. Zombies on a boat. Yeah. Some real excitement coming up in Fear the Walking Dead. Yeah. Uh, and that, that, that uh, hopefully it doesn't, uh, we don't have any cliffhangers there. So uh, we'll, just, we'll just see how that goes. Yeah. But yeah, that is great. And next week, Rob, on most shows recapped, we're going to have Mike Bloom join us. Is that, what, is that what I'm hearing? I'm hearing Mike Bloom's going to be joining us. Yes. Yeah, so that uh, I am going to be, uh, I got a lot going on with, I'm going to be the best man in a wedding next friday so uh really crazy week for me coming up <laughs> uh what will you be talking about with the great mike bloom mike wants to talk about the return of netflix's unbreakable kimmy schmidt uh i have a feeling with uh, with josh and mike and myself we'll probably be getting into some talk about broad city as well uh mike mike is a big comedy guy so he wants to talk about some other returning comedies besides those so i look for a freewheeling discussion about kimmy schmidt broad city uh, and other Big comedy shows, both in the Netflix universe and, and any returning shows that are uh, kind of coming to play right now. Mike is a big comedy guy, and that's what he wants to talk about. Mike Bloom's Comedy Hour next week, Rob. <laughs> All right. Uh, in terms of the hashtag, Antonio, where do you want to go? <laughs> well, I, I like OJA. I'm still thinking OJA, about that. OJA. But, you know, only we'll know what it means. Uh, people will be confused, I think. Yeah. Well, that's that, good. No, and then when they, they know, then they're like, oh, my God. Oh, well, but really? Yes. Wasn't that a little gratuitous? Do we need to see OJ's butt in the finale? <laughs> they probably had some sort of quotient or uh, what's the what's the word I'm looking for? Like they had some sort of quota. They had some sort of quota for nudity. Uh, that I they mean, had I don't show. know who that was for. I don't know if there was anybody that was like <laughs> watching this show that was like, well, I hope we get to see OJ's butt. Rob, if I've learned anything about the world, it's that a lot of people were excited about that. A lot of people. <laughs> a lot of corners of the internet. There's probably a post somewhere on Reddit right now like, oh, here's the nudity from Koopa Gooding on last night's OJ Simpson show. And Like, I get it. You know, you want to see Chris Darden's butt. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> but the OJ's butt. I don't know. I don't, maybe a little Lancito. You know, he does know. a lot of sitting, though. So probably that's not great. You can test to that. But uh, anyway. This is really this took me out of the scene, I have to say. Yeah, well, <laughs> OJA is the hashtag. Let's just say that. Let's okay. just leave it there. 
All right, there you go. All right, uh, good stuff, Antonio. <laughs> we'll be back together to talk Better Call Saul this week as well. Uh, have a good one, everybody. Looking forward to reading your comments on posterrecaps.com. Take care, everybody. Bye. Bye.